0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson podcast. Today, we're going to look at some, I think, pretty important anti-Trump media misreporting. The point isn't to pick on anybody in particular. It's to learn what the latest media mistakes in the era of Trump tell us about some badly broken journalism. The misreporting occurred on Thanksgiving Day. And it made number 100 on my list of major media mistakes in the era of Trump. You can go to my website, CherylAckeson.com, and search for media mistakes, and you'll see the whole list. Number 100 was committed by a political writer at Newsweek. The writer, by the way, called it an honest mistake, but I suggest it's something far more serious from a journalistic standpoint, and I'm going to explain why. First, we'll review the errors. Newsweek's Jessica Kwong wrote, on Thanksgiving, this is a tweet, How is Trump spending Thanksgiving tweeting, golfing, and more? And it linked to her article. She also wrote, President Donald Trump has been spending his Thanksgiving holidays at his Mar-a-Lago resort in Palm Beach, Florida, which he calls the Winter White House, and this year is no exception. This turned out to be untrue. At the time this information was published, President Trump was actually on a plane headed to Afghanistan where he met with, spoke to, and served dinner to U.S. troops on Thanksgiving. Even more startling, I might add, this is the second year in a row that national media made the same mistake. Last year, NBC falsely reported that Trump was the first president since 2002 not to visit the troops at Christmas time. Turns out he had. At the time they published this, he was on his way to make that visit. They eventually corrected their piece within the body NBC, but left up the false headline. In fact, as far as I know, that false headline is still posted today, saying he was the first president since 2002 not to visit the troops at Christmas when he did. Here are the basic issues I see behind the Newsweek reporting mistake, and I broke them down into a few categories. First lack of basic repertorial knowledge. I'm not a political reporter and nor do I closely follow the White House, although I have filled in and covered presidents from time to time and I do political observations and some political coverage. But even I wondered on Thanksgiving morning whether President Trump was going to visit the troops on Thanksgiving or Christmas or both this year. All recent presidents have done so. One would think a national reporter and any editors would know to be watching for the annual surprise visits. It's hard to imagine that someone entrusted to write and edit political material for a national publication doesn't have this basic knowledge and thought process. It makes you wonder about the supposed expertise of those writing important national political stories. What do they really know? Do they know more than those of us who are consuming the information? Maybe sometimes they don't. All right, a second problem, failure to attribute. The Newsweek article would not have been wrong and unjournalistic had the reporter, Jessica Kwong, not included her own assumptions and supposition. Or if she received the bad information from a source, she wouldn't have been wrong if she had included proper attribution as basic standards call for. For example, if someone at the White House or someone on scene at Mar-a-Lago, a reliable source, had told her that Trump was golfing, at the moment or was planning to golf, and she had attributed it, then she wouldn't have been wrong when it turned out not to be true. They would have been wrong, and at least we would have known the source. She could have written something like, President Trump has been spending Thanksgiving at Mar-a-Lago Resort in Palm Beach, and resort officials or White House officials say, this year is no exception. But that's not what she wrote. She wrote that he was golfing, that things had happened that never did happen. Often in today's news stories, I've found journalists have abandoned this very basic and important practice of attributing information to its source. They improperly declare information to be factual even though they don't know it firsthand to be true. This was one of the problems with the Newsweek snafu. Let me illustrate with a couple more examples. Let's say a local news reporter is on the scene where there's been a shooting and they see A police officer pick up a gun as evidence, and the cops say this gun was used by a suspect. Well, you can report as a journalist that a gun was recovered from the scene. You saw that with your own two eyes. But when you report that it was used by the suspect, you have to say, police say the gun was used by the suspect. Maybe there's a clearer case if I explain that when I was in local news, I remember reporting one time that a suspect confessed to a murder, And I really didn't know that to be the case because I hadn't heard the suspect say it, but the police told me and I relied on the representation and didn't attribute it. Later, it turned out that was an issue. At trial, the suspect claimed he never did confess that that was a misinterpretation or a misrepresentation by the police. So what I should have said at the time was, police say the suspect confessed to the crime. It doesn't matter how many people are making a claim or accepting that something is true. In general, you can't say it's true if it's not evidence you have firsthand. I use a couple of bigger examples. Russia interference in the 2016 election. I don't have any doubt that it likely occurred, but I didn't see all of the evidence firsthand. I don't know personally that it occurred. I know that trustworthy sources say it occurred. But that information, when reported, should still be attributed rather than journalists simply declaring it as if they somehow know they were like intelligence officers who investigated and discovered it. You don't know. You only know that reliable sources or sources you see as reliable say so. That's what should be reported. Let's talk about global warming. Let's say 99.9% of journalists believe there is man-made global warming and they've talked to reliable scientists about it. They've read published studies. Still, they, the journalists, don't know that it's a fact. They simply know that reliable sources say so, unless the journalists have gone out over dozens or hundreds or thousands of years and looked at thermometers and proven this themselves. The most we can say is that reliable scientists or people that we consider reliable believe or say or have concluded such Too often we've started to leave out attribution and things because we've decided, well, everybody knows it or everybody thinks it. This is a mistake, in my view. And the habit of not attributing the big things, the things that we think are obvious, that everybody agrees on, I think that leads us down the slippery slope to feel like we don't need to attribute other details that we determine maybe we know or we think we know when we really don't. A third problem I see is, I call it, failure to fact check. There's an old saying you've probably heard, assume makes an ass out of you and me. As silly as it sounds, I think these are words for journalists to live by. One thing I've learned in all my years is that no matter how obvious something seems, no matter how many reporters are reporting the same thing, have the same sources, have the same interpretation, no matter what the video seems to clearly show, It's frequently wrong, or incomplete, or lacking proper context. Frequently. That's why when writing a news story, it's important to follow the basic journalism standard of checking your assumptions. Jessica Kwong at Newsweek should have contacted the White House to see if her assumption that Trump would be golfing on Thanksgiving was true. If they told her it was, she need only attribute that, and then, even if he ended up in Afghanistan, as he did, she wouldn't be journalistically faulted for the bad information because it would have been attributed to its proper source, the White House, not words as if coming out of her mouth directly as if she somehow knew. A fourth problem, failure to correct. Although Newsweek corrected the story, they didn't really correct the story. They called it an update. They changed it from saying that Trump was golfing on Thanksgiving to he was actually in Afghanistan With the troops, that's not an update. That's correcting a fact error. That's correcting mistakes. The story hadn't changed. The story was simply wrong in the first place. But what they wrote at the end of the story, once it was corrected, this story has been substantially updated and edited at 6.17 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to reflect the president's surprise trip to Afghanistan. That's a correction. Should have been called that. And it's probably worth an apology as well. A fifth problem, false information remains. Just like that problem with NBC a year ago, the bad headlines stayed up there, at least bad information in the headline, even after they corrected. The headline, as far as I know, still says, How did Trump spend Thanksgiving tweeting, golfing, and surprising U.S. troops in Afghanistan? He did not golf on Thanksgiving. He golfed before Thanksgiving, And after this article was printed, he golfed after Thanksgiving. He did not golf on Thanksgiving. They needed to say the holiday weekend or however they wanted to term it, but he did not golf on Thanksgiving. It seemed like they kind of wanted to correct their work but not really correct their work or imply that it hadn't been so wrong. The same lessons that we've discussed here could be said of many media mistakes on my list. If Time magazine had bothered to follow basic journalism standards, on the day President Trump was inaugurated, and if they had asked the White House, they wouldn't have falsely reported that Trump had removed the bus statue of Martin Luther King from the Oval Office his first day in office. He hadn't, but they reported that and it went viral worldwide before it was corrected. If proper attribution had been used and fairness standards followed, NBC, CNN, and the Washington Post would not find themselves now being sued for hundreds of millions of dollars a Covington Catholic High School student who was smeared and whose actions were widely misreported and misrepresented on the news. I'm not suggesting that we as journalists should be infallible and never make mistakes. We're all human. But I think the evidence now in hand shows that there's bias at the root of this rash of mistakes. That's because these are Bush League errors that would have gotten students in journalism college an automatic f on an assignment if they'd been made, because these are basic things journalists are taught to do. The very first thing, check your facts, don't assume, attribute your information. At least that's the way it used to be. National journalists and their editors should know better. And just as significant, the mistakes almost entirely, if not entirely, cut in one direction, the one that makes Trump look worse. If they were truly honest mistakes, wouldn't half of them, or at least a couple of dozen, or maybe one or two, cut the other way? But nobody misreported that Trump had spent the holiday with the troops in Afghanistan when he'd actually been golfing. It's always the opposite. Nobody mistakenly reported that Trump paid a high rate of taxes, only to find out when the records were released he didn't pay any taxes. The opposite was reported, made him look worse. On election night in 2016, nobody called a state win for Trump that he'd actually lost. The opposite happened. The misquotes, the anonymous sources who prove wrong, the improper context, they all seem to cut in the direction of being anti-Trump, and we now have over three years of evidence of that. I often hear people retort when I write these sorts of articles or speak about this that, well, Trump lies more than the media. They'll say he's lied X thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of times. The implication is that somehow the media's mistakes are justified because of what we believe to be the flawed moral character of the target. These are dangerous arguments, in my opinion, from a journalistic standpoint. Because our obligation is to cover our subjects fairly and to maintain the same standards even when we don't like the subject, especially, perhaps, when we don't like him. Otherwise, why have standards? It's a little bit like the free speech argument. Speech that's easy and that nobody finds offensive doesn't really need any special protection. It's the speech that might offend somebody or that the government might declare to be wrong for its own interest that needs protection so that we don't go down that slippery slope of government intervening and telling people what they can say and think and do when it's beyond the realm of what's reasonable. The way we cover those we perceive as the enemies of our own views helps define how good we are as journalists at the job we're entrusted to do. Covering the news. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, leave a comment, like it, share it with your friends, and consider subscribing to the Cheryl Atkinson podcast And Full Measure After Hours, those are two of my podcasts. You can listen to them on iTunes or your favorite distributor. Or visit CherylAckison.com and just look at the podcast tab. You can listen to them right there. Do your own research. Make up your own mind. Think for yourself. Thanks for listening.
1: This is the Black Friday special for the holiday season. Just for my listeners, the Clean Phone, the top brand in UV sanitizing, is now offering their top-rated, top-selling, best-reviewed wand product at 50% off and free two-day shipping. That's a great deal. The Clean Phone Wand is a handheld UV sanitizer that helps you eliminate 99.9% of bacteria and kill viruses in seconds on virtually any surface. It uses the same proven sanitizing technology employed by hospitals. Who wouldn't want that in your home? You can use it on packages, groceries, keyboards, tablets, money. Take it with you everywhere. At 50% off and free two-day shipping for a limited time, it's the perfect gift for anyone who needs it. It's super portable and with days of battery life, you You can take it anywhere and make sure your environment is clean and safe. COVID cases are on the rise, so get the Clean Phone Wand at 50% off right now, and they'll take 60% off a second wand. That's a great holiday gift for your family and your friends. So go to justthenewshop.com, that's justthenewshop.com, and get your Clean Phone Wand right now. This is an early Black Friday special, so don't miss out. Go to justthenewshop.com right now.